Welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason from Schweitzer. So glad that you've tuned in today to join us in worship. If you're with us for the first time, we'd love for you to let us know that you're here. We've got a Starbucks gift card and Starbucks tastes awesome on cold days. Uh, we'd love to send it to you if you'll let us know you're here. This is week three of a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed where we're digging in deep to what the church has taught us about who God is, who Jesus is, and, and how that impacts our life. If you would like to see some sermon questions or would like to grow deeper in your faith, we'd encourage you to take a moment and go to schweitzer.church next. If you scroll down all the way to the bottom of the page, you'll find some questions that connect with the sermon. Up next is Stephanie, and she's going to share with us some things that are happening on, at Schweitzer and how you can be a part. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Are you new to Schweitzer? Or maybe you're just interested in learning more about the church. We would love to see you at our all-in lunch next Sunday, January 30th, after the second service. This is a great opportunity to find out more about who we are as a church and how you can take your next step. You can sign up online at schweitzer.church next or talk with Sheila today in the lobby. If you're looking for an opportunity to connect with a small group, we invite you to join us on campus Wednesday nights beginning February 2nd from 6.30 to 8.15 p.m. for group night. This is perfect for anyone looking to join a new group or Bible study. We'll spend four weeks getting to know one another and diving into God's Word right here on campus. You can learn more and sign up online at schweitzer.church next or by stopping by the lobby today. We have a few opportunities to connect during February, including with our second season gathering and lunch on February 3rd. We'll hear from a medical specialist who will share wisdom with us about caring for our whole selves. You can find out more online and sign up at schweitzer.church second season. Ladies, save the date. Coming up on February 19th at 10 a.m., we're hosting a women's brunch. This is an opportunity to gather that you will not want to miss. Find out more at schweitzer.church women. There is a lot going on on campus, especially this time of year. And as you know, sometimes we have to make last minute adjustments. We encourage you to keep an eye on our website and social media for any adjustments to schedules or cancellations. We are so grateful that you've joined us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. Now as we enter into a time of worship, I want to share with you a few words from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children. Let us praise the Lord. Let's join our voices together.
The sermon today is dealing with the person and the nature of Christ, Jesus. And thinking about praying around who Christ is and how Christ is incarnate in Mary and the work of the Father and the Spirit to bring Christ to that place, I'd like to share with us a prayer, and I invite you to join me in praying, a prayer that comes from the book, Come, Creator Spirit. The prayer goes something like this. Come, true light. Come, eternal life. Come, mystery concealed. Come, treasure unnamed. Come, reality outreaching, all telling. Come, O you whom our minds cannot grasp. Come, everlasting joy. Come, light that casts no shadow. Come, hope of all the redeemed. Come, you who raise the dead. Come, you only to the lonely. Come, my breath and my life. Come, my soul's counselor. Come, my joy, my glory, my everlasting delight. Shining vestiture, searing to demon touch. Cleansing bath, bathe me in purest tears most holy. Stay with me, O sovereign. Alone do never leave me. For so, when those enemies of mine soul shall come, you always seek to devour my soul. It is you they will see, 
dwelling in me, and at once they will flee, able to do nothing to me, finding you most powerful of all, enthroned within the poor home of my soul. Kind Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've invited you to come into our lives, into your church, we'd ask that you would hear all of the prayers that we lift up. Prayers on behalf of those who are sick around us. Prayers on behalf of our healthcare workers. Prayers on behalf of those who teach. Prayers on behalf of those who lead. Prayers on behalf of those who are trying to make sense of the world that we're in. We ask that you would hear our prayers and that you would continually teach us to pray. When we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What's up, y'all? I'm Levi Zinn, the Director of Student Ministries here at Schweitzer. Just to tell you a little bit about all the cool things we got going on in the Student Center on Wednesday nights. Uh, one of the things I'm super pumped about is our confirmation series called Verified. Um, what confirmation is, is it's a chance for students to jump off into um, a life of faith and a life of service to God and the church. Um, at the end, those students that choose to do so and haven't been already will get the chance to be baptized. And that'll just be the starting point for a life of faith. In addition to the chance of being baptized, students that finish confirmation will also have the chance to become full members here at Schweitzer. I'm praying for these students and I know you're praying for these students. And I ask you for your continued prayer as these students continue in confirmation and beyond um, as they try to live out their lives in service to Christ. One of the things that we really value here at Schweitzer for faith formation is the idea or the concept of confirmation. It's where teenagers can connect with their faith, with the deep teachings of the faith, and find, find out what God's up to in their own life and what it means as they, as they continue to grow and mature, how to live a life that is connected with God and that's pleasing to God. We are so excited about what's happening. We're, we're really thrilled to see about 30 students connected and engaged in this process. You know, this kind of experience is made possible because of the generous giving that we are a part of when we tithe and make our offerings to the Lord. The Lord takes those gifts and He does some incredible things like what He's doing in the lives of these young people. So thanks for your generosity. You can give today by going to Schweitzer.church slash give or by using the church app. Now, next up is week three of the Apostles' Creed. Let's dive in. I believe in God, believe the, Father God Almighty, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of heaven and, earth. and in Jesus Christ, his only, Christ Son, his only Son, our Lord, our Lord who, was who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, under Pontius Pilate was, crucified, was crucified, dead, and buried. Dead and buried. He, descended he descended into hell. 
The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today is part three of our series on the Apostles' Creed as we're walking through this basic confession of Christian faith. And as we do this, we're, we're really just asking two questions as we go. What is it that we believe as Christians? So what do we believe and why? What do we believe and why? And each week we're just walking through the creed, just looking at this line by line, kind of section by section as we, as we ask these questions about what is it that we believe and why? And so we started this out a few weeks ago. We talked about the nature of faith. What is it that Christians believe? What does it mean to believe and even have faith to begin with? And then last week we talked about how God is our Father, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who made everything. He is the one who's created all things. He is this one who's utterly different than us. And yet also he is knowable and we call him Father. And so today, as we keep going to this series, we're going to turn to the next section of the creed and we're going to start talking about Jesus. And here's what the creed says about Jesus. Here's what we say. We say that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. And oh my goodness, we just said so much in that section. There's so much there. In fact, there's so much there that we can't get through all of that this week. And honestly, there's so much there we can't even get through all that next week. And so this is going to be for the next three weeks, we're going to, have to be talking about this section of the creed about what it teaches us about, about who uh, Jesus is, about who Jesus is. And so we're going to be walking through this section for the next three weeks. We're going to talk this week about uh, the birth of Jesus, next week about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then the third week about uh, about Jesus returning and how, how he will be the king of all things. And so as we start this this section of the creed, though, we also need to look at the the big picture here because these three sections of the creed are, are really um, under a big umbrella of one big idea, which is the first line of what the Apostles' Creed says about Jesus himself. And so the first line of the Apostles' Creed about Jesus said this, that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And if we're going to talk about anything when it comes to Jesus, we need to talk about that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is the Lord of Lords, that He is God Himself, that this is what we are confessing, this is who He is. And, and we, we need to say this because um, if you miss this, you miss everything. I mean, there's, there's no Christian message if you miss this, and yet, honestly, a lot of people miss this. I don't know how, but, but a lot of people miss this because there's a lot of people who will uh, have faith and, and they're okay with, you know, God is the maker, they're, they're okay with the idea of a creator, but, but when it starts to come to this, that Jesus, this person, was also God, well, that's like, ooh, you know, that's a horse of a different color. I don't, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, because, first of all, there's a simple math problem there. Like, how can somebody be 100% God and 100% human? Like, how does that work? How does that math work? And I, 
I don't really know how that math works, but this is a, like this mystery here that in Jesus we have uh, someone who is both 100% God and 100% human. This is the, the mystery of God that we have in, in Jesus Christ. Now, theologically, we describe this mystery with a really important word. You hear this word around Christmas time a lot, and it's the word um, incarnation. And the idea of incarnation is that the transcendent God, the one who is utterly different than us in every way imaginable, the one who exists outside space and time, that this one, he became flesh in order that we can know him. The incarnation is that Jesus is, is fully God and also fully human. And this is a great mystery that we have before us, that, that in Jesus we have both things that are true at the exact same time. One of the best places in the Bible that describes this mystery is in John chapter 1. So let's read through John chapter 1 and see what this mystery, how, how the Bible describes this great mystery. So here's John chapter 1. Here's how it goes. Verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when John wrote uh, this, this, this book here, he starts with this verse because he's trying to make you remember another verse in the Bible, which of course is what? Yeah, Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John has a really simple point that he's gonna start here in the very first verse of his book, and it's gonna go for the next 21 chapters. And the point is really simply this, that Jesus himself that he is God, that he is God in the flesh, that this person who lived is actually God. This is his point that he's gonna be making for the rest of his, of his writing. Now, when John describes Jesus, he describes him here in John chapter one as um, the word. That's the word he uses over and over and over again. Uh, we've translated the word from the Greek word. It was originally written in Greek, not in English. And in Greek, the word there is the word logos. Uh, logos is where we get the English word uh, logic. And you can think about it like this. Why does Jesus, call, why is he called the word? Well, think about the word logic. Um, you know, logic is like pure thought. It's like the proper thought. Logic is like when things fall into place because they are true. That's what logic is. And in, in some ways, what John is saying is that in the same way, Jesus is true. He is the proper way that life is. He is, he is what is, is true. He is what falls into place. He's God's plan. And this is kind of why he's, he's pulling at when he calls Jesus the word or the Greek word there, logos. John also pulls from the, the idea of the word of God that you find in the Bible. So he describes Jesus as the word, because if you read through the Bible, the Old Testament, the word of God is how God did things. Think about the Old Testament, Genesis chapter one, when God creates the heavens and the earth, how does he create it? Well, Genesis one says things like this, that God said, let there be light. And then there was light. Like the word of God came forward and this is how God accomplished what he wanted. Or in the prophets in the Old Testament, God will speak, the word of the Lord will come and it is, it is the true word for the people. And in the same way, Jesus is the, is the truth that is presented to us. And so John begins this, this great mystery of Jesus, the fully God, fully human with this line about how he has always been with God. He is always God. He is the truth of God. He, he is God himself. This is what we have with the person of Jesus. So let's keep reading here. Verse two says, he was with God in the beginning and through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's skip to verse nine here. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And then comes one of the most important verses in the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Another translation says it like this, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. The transcendent God who exists outside of space and time, the maker of all, he comes and is born of a woman in a particular time to live, to experience life as we do. And and he has become like one of us. We keep reading here that John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Skip down to verse 16 says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Let me say John chapter one in a much more simple way. Jesus is God. This is why Jesus matters. Jesus is God. This is why we listen to him is because Jesus is God. That's the point of John chapter one. The great mystery that we have here is that Jesus is God. And and this point is uh, what makes the Christian message different than everything else, every other world religion that you're ever gonna find out there because the Christian message, unlike every other world religion, is not, here's what you do to get to God. The Christian message is not, here are the rules to follow to, to be a faithful person. The Christian message doesn't have to do with an ideology or a philosophy or rules or commandments. The, the heart of the Christ, Christian message is, is a person. It is a person named Jesus who has come for us. This is, this is the mystery, fully God, fully human. He has come in order to save us. And this sets the Christian message apart from every other ideology, philosophy, or world religion that you'll ever find. Because this is not about what we have to do. It is about this one who has come for us. It's a mystery. I can't really explain it. I don't really understand how it all works, that God, Jesus can be both fully God and fully human. But what I do know is that when I have opened my life up to him, when I've opened my heart, my mind up to him, and I've asked him to lead my life, I know that he's changed my life. This is what he does. He changes our lives. He leads our lives. This is, this is how it is. That, and it's because he is God. Or as we say in the Apostles' Creed, that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now in the Apostles' Creed, we work through this section about Jesus. Really, there's the next three parts of it are, are really about how Jesus is the son of God. The kind of the, the proof you might have of, of why we say he's the son of God. And we're gonna therefore talk about his birth and then we're gonna talk about his death and resurrection. And then we talk about his return, these kind of three parts of what we see here with the Apostles' Creed. And so today, as we, as we start this section, Let's, let's talk about his birth and how his birth is connected to him being the son of God. Now in the creed, what the creed says about the birth of Jesus and why this matters is two things really. That Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So this is the truth that we preach. This is what we find is that, that Jesus was born of the, uh, conceived the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now the, 
the virgin birth is one of those things as well. We, we got to spend some time talking about because this is one of those things that like, like some other things in the creed or some of the things of faith, like mm, I talk to people who are like, you know, what? I'm good with God being the maker. I'm good with Jesus, you know, being important. But, but now this is like, this is something else. Do I, do I really need to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian? Is this really crucial to the Christian gospel that the virgin birth be true? Because this is one of those things that for a lot of people stretches them beyond what they're comfortable with and stretches them beyond what they can readily believe. And they're kind of left wondering, do I really need to believe this? And, and, and when you look at the virgin birth, it's really easy to look at this and to see it as a really strange thing, some random miracle that takes place and not really understand why does this, why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus would be born of the Virgin Mary? And it's really easy to do this when you look at it in isolation, which is what we usually do with the virgin birth is we kind of look at it at Christmas time. And that's really the only time of the year we talk about it and we focus in on that. And it's kind of a strange thing. And you're kind of left wondering, do I really need to believe this in order to believe in Christ, to, to, to hold to, you know, to him being the Lord and, and the son of God. And, and it's easy to do when you view it in isolation, what most of us do. So, so here's a great analogy about how to think about how the virgin birth is part of something much, much bigger than what we normally think about it. So I wish I'd come up with this analogy. I've heard this before. I wish this was mine, but I'll offer it to you. So think about this. Imagine that you have um, never in your life seen a bicycle. And then one day you come across a bicycle chain. And, and, and you're holding it in your hands and you're kind of wondering like, I mean, what is this? What, what, what do I do with this? Is it, you know, it's a loop. So is it like, is it a necklace? Maybe you put it around your neck and, and you're like, this is a weird necklace. It certainly doesn't feel very comfortable. It's not very pretty. Maybe, maybe it's not a necklace. You hold it some more. Maybe you're like, maybe it's a weapon. You know, it'd really mess someone up if you hit somebody with a pike chain. Maybe it's a weapon. Maybe that's what it was. But why is it, why is it looped? Why is it not just long? Or maybe it's something else. And so when you view it in isolation, this bike chain, you have no idea what it is. But then one day you see a bike and you're like, oh, I see how the bike chain works now. It's, you know, you pedal and it gives power to the, to that, to that tire and to that wheel. And, and now I see how it works. But, but I had to see it in context in order to understand how this thing works. And this is how the virgin birth was, is. When you, when you look at this in isolation, it makes very little sense. But when you look at this in the big picture, all of a sudden it's like, oh, of course this is how God did this. Of course this is why this matters. And in the big picture, there's, there's several parts to the big picture to, to consider when it comes to the virgin birth. Um, one part is to consider what we've already talked about today with like John chapter one, this claim that Jesus is both a God and, and person. And with this claim that Jesus is both fully God and fully person, what we're saying with that is that Jesus has always been fully God, fully human. That from the beginning, from conception, he was fully God and fully human. Which is important because it's, it's not like what, what happened is like, you know, God's looking at the earth and he's thinking to himself, you know, I really need to save everybody. They're in a real big mess. I wonder if there's any like special people down there I could maybe give my Holy Spirit to and they could go and do this because they're, you know, they're, they're special. And it's like, oh yeah, no, there's Jesus of Nazareth. I'll choose, I'll choose him because he's a really special person and I'll adopt him as my son. That's not, that's not what we're saying here at all is that, is that from the beginning, no, no, no. Jesus has been fully God, fully human because Jesus has always been God's plan to save us. That's an incredibly important thing to remember as we think about the virgin birth is that God has had a long plan to save us. When you think about the, the, 
totality of the scripture, the whole of the Bible, this becomes even more clear. Now, a lot of times when people come to the Bible, they, they think about the Bible as if it's like some sort of handbook about morality. Like, here's the rules in order to be a good person. Like, that's this point of the Bible. Here's the commandments you need to follow. Here's what you do to be a good person. But that's not the story. That's not what the Bible's about at all. The Bible, what the Bible is, it is one long story from beginning to end about how God is saving us. From Genesis to Revelation, it is one long, cohesive story of the salvation of God. From beginning to end, with all the twists and turns and the people that we meet, it's all about how God is saving us. And when you think about some of the turning points in the Bible, this becomes really, really clear as you think about the virgin birth as well. So for instance, let's think about some of the turning points in the Bible. Remember Abraham and Sarah? Abraham and Sarah were the the elderly, childless couple that God called to leave their land and their home and to go to this promised land that he was going to give them. And remember how God's promise to Abraham and Sarah was that they would become a great nation. Of course, the great nation is the nation of Israel. This Their story is the beginning of the story of Israel, which is a major story in the Bible. And so Abraham and Sarah are these, these two elderly, childless people who are giving this, this incredible promise that they would uh, bless the world. That's what the promise was, that the great nation come for them would bless the world. And, and do you remember what Sarah did when she heard God give her that promise? She laughed. That's what she did. She laughed at God because that promise was so outrageous that God would use them to become a great nation that would bless the world. And so somehow, miraculously, mysteriously, Sarah and Abraham conceived and when she time came for her to give birth, she named the boy that was born, she named him Laughter. In Hebrew, it's the word Isaac. Or I think about another great turning point in the Bible, birth of Moses. Moses is really the next turning point in the Bible. At this point in the biblical story, the people of Israel have been slaves for generations. and They've cried out to God for their freedom, for deliverance from their oppressors. And, and finally, God sends somebody to come and save them. And this baby is born. Nothing miraculous about his conception, but, but this baby is born during a time when the Egyptians are, are killing all of the Hebrew boys, trying to control the population. And so all these Hebrew boys are being killed. And yet Moses' mother in great wisdom puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile as an infant. And you have this incredible providential moment where God spares Moses in order to save his people through Moses. And as you keep reading through the story of, of Israel, and the story of the Bible, the story of salvation, you come across more people like this. Like like after Moses leads the people of Israel from slavery, um, they wander in the desert for 40 years and a few generations later, they're, they're in the promised land. And, and in the promised land, they're not led by kings quite yet. They're led by a bunch of judges. And the greatest of all of the judges was a man named Samuel. Now, Samuel, uh, he came from, from a woman. Her name was Hannah and Hannah could not conceive. And so God sent an angel to Hannah to promise that Hannah would, would have children and that, and that in this promise to Hannah, he promises that her son would be a savior to his people, that he would save them from the Philistines. And so Samuel is born miraculously to this woman who cannot conceive. And, and Samuel will become a man who leads the people of Israel, the greatest of the judges, and then will even be uh, one who anoints the kings, including King David. You see, as you read through the story of Scripture, 
it becomes really clear that the story of Scripture is full of times where God is going to intervene to save his people. And often what happens when God does this is that a woman finds herself pregnant, usually under miraculous circumstances, or a baby is saved. And, and now God is going to come forward in this kind of way to save his people. It's like the story of Israel is the story of miraculous births. And we're not done yet. We go forward in the story to a time when Israel has lost its way and they find themselves in exile. It's the darkest period in the Bible. They go into exile from Israel to the land of Israel to the promised land to Babylon. And, and while they're in Babylon, separated from their land, uh, the prophets begin to emerge and begin to speak about the promised Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And as they start to prophesy about what the Messiah is going to do, they say things like this. They say things like, Unto us a child is given. Unto us a son is born. And of course, they're, they're thinking about how the miraculous work of God is going to come through the birth of a child because this is their history. This is the salvation history of the people of Israel. There's one, one uh, prophet, Isaiah, who, who writes this. I think this is so interesting as you think about the big picture story of the Bible and these miraculous births. Um, Isaiah chapter 54 predicts and prophesies the future work of the Messiah. And he writes these words. Listen to this. He says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Like the prophet Isaiah, as he's prophesying the future here and the work of the Messiah, he imagines Israel as this barren woman, childless woman, who's living in this small tent because she doesn't have children, and yet she needs to expand because some babies are coming. When you start to put all this together, you start to think about the big picture of the Bible and the story that's being told. It's no wonder that when you get to the New Testament, that God would, be, would choose to come in this kind of way through the birth of a virgin. Because this is the kind of thing that he has been doing all along. I mean, the story of salvation that we see in the Bible is this story after story after story of, of turning points. Of when God is going to come to save his people, it usually comes through a miraculous kind of birth. So of course, when God comes to save us with the Messiah, he comes in the form of a child who's gonna be born in this miraculous kind of way because this is the story that we've seen over and over and over again. That the, the one who is sent fully God and fully man, of course he would be born in this kind of way because this is what we've seen from day one. You see, this virgin birth, it didn't come out of the blue. It, it didn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of this long history of how God has been at work in his people for generation after generation after generation after generation seeking to save them. Because this is what God is like. He is a savior. And from beginning pages of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God is seeking to save us. It's one long story. And of course, the virgin birth fits perfectly into this because it's all part of God's plan. You see, the invitation of the gospel is that our God is a savior and that he has been seeking to save us all along and that his plan is to, 
is to seek to save and redeem and rescue his people. And so we see this on every page of the Bible that he is seeking to save his people. It's one long story of salvation that he has been at work in our life. That when we were incapable of doing anything on our own, he came for us. He was born of a, of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man, offered for you, for you to have everlasting life. And this is what we mean when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That here is this gift that's been offered to you as part of God's long plan of salvation. Now today as we close, uh, we're going to say a prayer together like we normally do. Open our hearts, our lives to Him who is both fully God and fully man in this mysterious kind of way. And then I want to invite you to, to say along with me the words of the Apostles' Creed as we are going to confess our faith in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. And we're going to confess our faith and our trust in Him as we seek to live in a relationship with Him and, and to receive the salvation, the gift that He's offered to us. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, we thank You that You so loved us, each of us individually, that You gave Your own Son that we might have life everlasting, that You've come into the world to save us, not condemn us, and that what you offer us is not more rules, another philosophy, another ideology, but God, what you offer us is your own son given to us as a gift. Today, may we receive what you have for us because what we see is that you are a savior. On every page of the Bible it's written, we see this long history of how you have constantly and sought after us. And so God, today we wanna open our hearts to you. For anyone today who feels like they're far from you, May we confess our sin, confess you, and we find life in you. For anyone who's never found you to begin with, never known the peace that you bring, may we enter into a life with you with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? God, we thank you that you seek after us, offering yourself for us, that we might be your children. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. So friends, at this time, let's join together and let's confess our faith, the faith that all Christians in all places at all times have believed as we say the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks for joining us in worship this week. We're so glad you've joined us. We're so glad we could have this experience together. We'd also like to thank Stephanie and Alec and Taylor and Sydney, people who are behind the camera. We'd love to thank the worship team for leading us in worship. 
to Spencer for sharing that sermon from the Apostles' Creed, uh, particularly on Jesus. If this, if this sermon has spoken to you, if this experience has been something that you've connected with, we'd encourage you to take a moment, share it on social media, send it along to a friend, somebody who needs it in their life. We're looking forward to next week where we dive into the Apostles' Creed Part 4, continue to look at Jesus and who He is and how we can be people who follow after Him. We hope you have a great week. We hope you have a great time watching football. And if you don't like football, God loves you and so do we. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then north and south and east and west We'd hear Christ be magnified And were the whole earth echoing His eminence his name would burst from sea and sky From rivers to the mountaintops We'd hear Christ be magnified And oh, Christ be magnified let His praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. When every creature Finds its inmost melody And every human heart Is native cry Then one Should hear the praise We hear Christ Be magnified Oh, Christ be magnified Puts me in the fire. I rejoice because you're there too. And I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true.
If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, oh, my heart will still be saved. And my song will be 